0: look at it with great expectation again our expectation is that god himself is a communicating god god loves us and god wants to transform us and god's word is powerful heard it described as a lion in a cage and our job is to simply open the door and let the lion out and and this is a good lion and and god's intent is to bring us to faith in christ and when we have faith in Christ, to transform us into the very image of Christ. So pray with me again, and we'll just pray that as God's words go out, they will accomplish the task that he has for them. And that, by the way, is a promise in the Old Testament. And so let's cling to that promise. So let's pray once more. Father, thank you again for this time. And Lord... Give us understanding as we look at your word, and I just pray that your word would come out and have its effect in each one of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Well, I went to WSU, and as many call it, the the Harvard of the Palouse. You have to be really smart to get accepted at WSU. Um, actually, that's not really true, but... But i did go to wsu down in pullman and when i went i was a a a new christian and a very eager and zealous christian and so on in week one i joined the navigators which is a bible study group on college campuses started in the navy and worked into college campuses they're really big on discipleship and scripture memory and jim mock was the leader and so in day one, I can only imagine what he thought as I walked up to him, because I was this confident 20-year-old, and I just marched right up, shook his hand, and I said, I said, I, can we please meet? I am ready to grow. I'll do whatever you, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'll work hard. I will do whatever it takes to grow. Can we start meeting? And he was kind of, you know, he, he stepped back and, well, you know, let's get to know each other and. But But, sure enough, we began to meet, and apart from our weekly group meeting and our weekly prayer meeting on campus every Friday, we met three times a week, and so we spent a lot of time together for three years and And during that three years, two times were to lift weights because Jim told me, you know, hey, it's really important that you stay in shape and Jim had four kids and he was getting a little bit older. I thought he was really old at the time, but he was actually younger than I am today. But um, so, so Jim said, you know, you know, it's important that we work on our, our, our physical shape as well as our spiritual shape. So, so we met twice a week to lift weights together one-on-one and we just talked. We spent a lot of time talking. And then once a week we met for discipleship and scripture memory. And again, I told Jim, Jim, I will do whatever how can I grow? Tell me what I need to do. And so he gave me a list of 60 verses and he said, memorize these. And so every week we'd get together and talk about matters of discipleship and we would go over our scripture memory verses. And, and it was a very rich time, three years. And in fact, it affected my college schedule. It affected when I came back to school in the summer. And um, so we became dear friends. Well, after three years, Jim announced that he was leaving to go to a school in california and and i mean we could talk for a long time there were lots of circumstances so on and so forth but i just remember just the sinking feeling that that he was going to be gone and what was it going to be like without jim and corliss mock they were he was the first real mentor that i had and and it was just like I went right into the deep end with him. And it was, a, it was an amazing relationship. Well, he left. And, and he didn't leave Navigators alone. There, there were a couple of other leaders that kind of stepped in. And, um, but they weren't really gifted to the task, per se. And then there was a leader that came over from Moscow because they really didn't have a very thriving ministry and came over and tried to help. But bottom line, Navigators collapsed when he left. And 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 that was sad. I mean we we lingered a little bit. But again, I can't overemphasize the impact that Jim had on my life because we spent time together, lots of time, for three years. Now this is kind of a natural transition to the disciples. Imagine the disciples they spent three years with Jesus walking with him Eat. They didn't meet five times a week. They lived together and they ate meals together. They watched Jesus minister to the crowds. They watched him walk on water. They watched him calm the storms. They, they saw him feed 5,000 people. And then another time, I think it was 7,000. And that's just the men. That doesn't even count the women and children. They, they watched him raise dead people to life. They watched him take lame people who could not walk and raise them up, and they could walk. He gave sight to the blind. They were there with Jesus. This Jesus even sent them out two by two to minister. They walked with him for three years. Well, now, our text this morning is John 16, 5 through 15, and they're at a time where they're beginning to understand that Jesus is going to leave. And, and this text anticipates his leaving. And the disciples are, are beginning to get it. And they're deeply distressed. Jesus is leaving. He's been with us for three years. This ministry is Jesus. It's not just he's helping it because he's a good leader. He is the ministry and he's going to leave. And, and Jesus, in, in our text this morning, takes time with them to help them see that having the Holy Spirit in them is better than Jesus beside them. And I stole that line from J.D. Greer. But having Jesus, or having the Holy Spirit in them is far better than having Jesus beside them. Remember, they had Jesus beside them for three years almost nonstop, he's about to leave. And Jesus says, don't worry, I'm going to send you the helper. And, and that's what we're going to talk about. And there's just three points today. The Holy Spirit, whom Jesus is sending, empowers. So, so in other words, why is it better to have the Holy Spirit in us rather than Jesus beside us? Because the Holy Spirit empowers. Number two, the Holy Spirit convicts. And number three, the Holy Spirit guides So first, the Holy Spirit empowers. We're going to read from John 16, and and we're going to just start with verses 5 to 7, and good, it's up on the board. So look with me at 5 to 7. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? Because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus not only says, hey, you're going to be okay, you're going to get by, but he's saying, it's actually better for you that I go. Why? Because the Holy Spirit empowers. Now, let's just take one example, the, the, the Apostle Peter. Now, Peter walked with Jesus for three years, right? And Peter was kind of the, most, the boldest of the disciples and the most outspoken of the disciples. And just get a glimpse of Peter before Jesus left. Remember when Jesus was about to be crucified? And this is just one instance. Peter is warming himself by the fire and a servant girl comes to him and says, and Jesus is being condemned. And Peter's a little bit nervous about that. And and this servant girl says, wait a minute, aren't you one of Jesus' friends? And Peter denied it. He says, nope, not me. Well, then a a minute later, and Jesus had already told him he was going to do this. A minute later, there were men warming themselves by the fire. And some of the men said to Peter, aren't you one of his disciples? And Peter said, no, no. And then a little while later, a servant of the high priest said, wait a minute. And it was the, high, the, 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 the servant Peter had cut off an ear and, and this servant had observed that and he said, wait a minute, weren't you with Jesus in the garden when he was arrested? And Peter called down curses, says, no, I wasn't. And so he was fearful and he would not admit to being with Jesus. That was before the Holy Spirit came. Now, after the Holy Spirit came, I just want to briefly go through Peter's first four sermons. In, in Acts chapter 2, Peter's preaching. The Holy Spirit has come. This promised helper that Jesus was sending has come. And Peter's preaching. And here's what he's saying to the crowd. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. The same Peter who just told the servant girl, no, 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 I don't know Jesus. He's now pointing to them and saying, you crucified him. I wish I could read the whole sermon. But then he says later, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. And they that's Peter's first sermon. His second sermon is in Acts chapter three. And Peter is now... Um, talking to a group of people on Solomon's porch, and he says, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this miracle that he's just done? Or why do you stare at us as though our own power or piety have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and righteous one, and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. Do you even recognize the two people? And then his third sermon, Acts chapter 4. Peter is before the council. We're stepping up. Now, first he was before the people for the first two sermons. Now he's before the very people who have authority over his life and death. And he says, on the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. Do you you understand the language here? It's trying to make us realize that these are all the important people. We're not talking about a servant or guys around a fire or another servant. We're talking about the the most influential people in the city. And Peter's gathered before them. And what does he say? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And then, and then they warned him, and they, they said, Well, what are we going to do with this guy? We they, he, they saw his boldness, and they said, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. So they called them back and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. It's a different guy. And then how about, and, and, I'm, and I'm taking time because I think it's really important for us to look at this. And I'm probably overdoing it. But, but again, in that same city, he said, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant. Oh, this is them praying together as a result of that. Okay, now let's look very briefly at Peter's fourth sermon. In his fourth sermon, Peter says this. They come before him and they said, We strictly charged you not to teach in in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. And so what happened? They beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The very next verse. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching in the name of Christ. Jesus said to the disciples, It is better for you that I go and send the Helper than that I remain. Why? Because the Helper, the Spirit of God, came and empowered them in a way that is unrecognizable. So Jesus wants them to understand having the Holy Spirit in them is better than having Jesus beside them. Why? Because the Holy Spirit empowers. Next, the Holy Spirit convicts. Verses 8 through 11, look with me. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they, because they do not believe in me Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Follow me. This was the command that the disciples had gotten. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Well, there was a time where they followed him and yet there, people were not too responsive to the word. But now, Jesus said, when I go, the Holy Spirit will come. Well, what will he do? Well, he'll empower you and give you boldness that you know nothing about right now. But also, he'll be at work in the people that you're going to minister to. Notice this. He will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Do you know that the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment? Conviction of sin. Do you know that non-believers have a certain conviction about sin? Now imagine if your job is to minister and to disciple and to evangelize and bring people to faith. How wonderful if the Holy Spirit has gone before you and been at work in the very people you're seeking to reach. And that's precisely ministry of the Holy Spirit. Conviction of sin. The Bible says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But you know that everybody knows that. Everybody in the heart of hearts know that, that we all know that we have fallen short. That, we have, that we, have, we have sinned. We've all sinned. We know that we've had attitudes in the heart, hidden thoughts and desires We've acted on things, and we have all fallen short. We all know that there is a holy God. Everybody knows that there is accountability. There is ultimately accountability for how we live our life. And the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, is at work in the lives of unbelievers, moving in them so that they would have a consciousness of sin and a consciousness of falling short. What a ministry! But not just a conviction of sin, a conviction of righteousness. Isaiah 64 says, all our righteousness is but filthy rags. Do you know that we, as people, we have two, two big problems. One, we do things we shouldn't do. But we have another problem. We don't do the things we should do. We understand that there is a standard, that there is a code of conduct that we must obey. And yet we fall short. And do you know that your non Christian friends, family, and neighbors deep inside understand that they fall short? They understand when they're not distracted that they are sinners and they have failed to obey. God's righteous law the law is written in each one of our hearts and there is an understanding a conviction that I don't measure up not only have I sinned in so many different ways but I also have not done the very things that I should do God is God the Holy Spirit is ministering in the lives of those around us helping them to have a conviction of these things Imagine trying to do any kind of ministry if there was no work of the Holy Spirit like this. It would be impossible. But when Jesus ascended into heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit down to not only empower us, but to convict the world. And lastly, there's a conviction of judgment. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. You know that within every unbeliever, Again, in the moments of clarity, late at night, in the morning, when distraction doesn't set in, there is a sense of judgment. God is a righteous judge. Yes, he's a merciful Savior, but he also is a righteous judge. And he will judge the world in righteousness. And people know it, and they're terrified. That's why people are so afraid of dying. There is a sense that there is a reckoning and we will all experience. And God, the Holy Spirit, comes down and convicts the world of sin. And I can only imagine what good news. For these 12 disciples, here they are. They're they're given their lives to follow Jesus. And they know the ministry he set before them. And it's a ministry of proclamation. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Imagine fish that are not indifferent and swimming in the opposite direction, but fish who are ready to be caught. Fish in whom, and I hate to call people fish, (laughs) you get it, but people in whom the Spirit of God is prepping and they are ready to receive encouragement that there is something they can do about their sin. There is something to do about this conviction of righteousness. And yes, judgment is coming, but God is covered. Do you know that we are guilty sins of omission, things that we fail to do, but also sins of commission, things that we do that are wrong, and that equals judgment. Jesus says in in John 3, that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish. And then he goes on to say that, I have not come into the world to judge the world, but to to redeem the world. But then he says, for the world is already under judgment. You know that the world is under judgment. People get it. And as Christians, we have this message. In Romans chapter 8, right after the Bible makes clear the sacrifice of Jesus, that he is both our righteousness and our sin substitute. Romans 8 says, therefore... Now, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit ripens people to receive that very message that for those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation. So Jesus wants his disciples to understand that having the Holy Spirit in them is better than having Jesus beside them. Why? because he empowers, he's going to empower them in ways they can't even imagine right now while he was still with them. And he, is, he will move in the lives of those who are in the world, convicting them of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And lastly, the Holy Spirit guides. The Holy Spirit guides into all truth. Look with me at verses 12 through 15. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Earlier, this is John chapter 16, but in John chapter 14 through 16, Jesus repeatedly gives them this incredible promise that the Holy Spirit is going to come. And the Holy Spirit is going to be a helper, a comforter, a a teacher. And he's going to lead them in all truth. Well, in John 14, he says this These things I've spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, when Jesus was with them, he spent three years with them, teaching them like a fire hose. Now, imagine Jesus instructing them. Now, imagine if he thought, oh my goodness, I'm going to leave and these guys are going to forget everything I taught them. That was the furthest thing from his mind because he knew he was going to give them this greater gift of having the Holy Spirit inside them after he left, and what was going to be one of the main functions of the Holy Spirit? To teach them all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. Now now just be overwhelmed here for a minute, because in verse 13 he says, He will guide you into all the truth. And then going back to chapter 14, he says, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. There was a lot that they needed to remember and yet god jesus left them with a helper who would remind them of everything that he taught them okay now this is geared mostly toward the disciples those who heard this message right there they were with jesus they were saddened that they knew he was leaving and and this is Maybe how they would have received this, that the Holy Spirit comes to empower, to convict, and to guide. Well now, how does this relate to us? I just have a couple of things. Number one, set your vision much higher than it is today. Set your sights higher i think i can say this with authority that we are far too apathetic about what it means to be a christian and i and i I say that with authority not pointing the finger at you but also pointing the finger at me do you view your christian life as something that is empowered by the Holy Spirit who resides in us. Do you realize that if you could take a time machine and go back to the crucifixion and the resurrection and be right there with Jesus when he rose again and with Thomas touching the nails in his hand and the scars in his feet, do you know that we are far better off today than if we could go back and be with Jesus face to face? We are far better off today. Jesus said, it is better for you. And do you know that when John the Baptist came and and Jesus was commending him and he said, do you know up until now, there is nobody as great as John the Baptist. He is the greatest of all people. And then he says, but he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. Do you know also that In John 14, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Do you know that by virtue of our faith in Jesus, by virtue of his resurrection and ascension into heaven, and and by virtue of the gift of the Holy Spirit, we are in an incredible position as Christians? We should be the most ambitious people on the planet, the most optimistic people on the planet. God has great things to do through us. Through us. You know, you look at the disciples, and they really weren't impressive people. Fishermen, tax collectors, they, they, were, they were just common people. And yet God changed the world through them. I think we sometimes are far too prone to sit back and watch the world change around us without a healthy expectation for God to do great things through us. That is his intention, to work powerfully in and through the lives of ordinary people. In fact, 1 Corinthians says that God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God delights in taking simple people and changing the world with them. One of my favorite verses, one of, is Second Chronicles 16.9. And if you're around me much, you hear me quote it. And it says, For the eyes of the Lord wander to and fro throughout the whole world to show himself strong on behalf of him whose heart is loyal to him. Do, do you get that? It is God's every intention to move powerfully in and through his believers wherever they are in the whole world. Is that your expectation? Do you find that sometimes it's really easy just to settle in a routine? I'll call it a rut where yes I go to church on Sunday and but then you know I've got these family things and I've got this work that I need to do and But if you were to really boil it down, where is your heart? Where is your affection? Where is your confidence? It's not necessarily in a powerful God working through the Holy Spirit who is residing within us to do mighty things. We need a healthy dose of sanctified ambition. God is looking to show himself strong on behalf of of them whose heart is loyal to him. So what do we do with this? Number one, set your vision much higher than it is today. All of us anticipate greater things. We have the Holy Spirit of God living in us. If you are here and you are a Christian, the Spirit of God resides in you. Far better than having Jesus beside you. So number two, Engage in corporate worship. Sometimes it can feel like you're going through the motions, but you know how powerful it is for us to gather week after week after week after week to sing songs and engage your heart prayerfully and in song to the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who sent his son to die for us, to meditate on him and what he's done, there is something so powerful about when God's people gather and we sing and when we listen to preaching God's word. Do you know that right now, as weak and as foolish as I am, I'm speaking God's word. you know what that means? That means God himself is speaking to us. God is speaking to us. He loves us. He's talking to us through his word when we come and we sing together and we listen to preaching together and we celebrate the sacraments we're going to we're going to celebrate communion but when we celebrate baptism and communion those are that's powerful do you know that we are strengthened i believe that that taking the elements in communion the wine and the bread that's a means of grace. Now, it doesn't save us. It's not a work that somehow merits God's approval. By no means. Jesus did that on the cross. It's finished. His perfect life of righteousness is ours by virtue of our faith in Christ. His death for our sins, the sin substitute, has been finished. It's finished. It's done. But when we celebrate this and when we, when we remember what he's done for us and when we proclaim it when we do this it's a silent proclamation i'm preaching right now but in a minute we will all preach without words and we will be proclaiming the lord's death until he comes there's something powerful about that that's why we come to church that's why we move from once a month to every week we celebrate communion there's something so special about this family meal that we do together And God uses it to to change us and to transform us. So we engage in corporate worship, and then we engage in personal worship. We read the Bible. And um, J.D. Greer says God is always speaking clearly and reliably there. Want to hear the Spirit? What does the Spirit do? He reminds us of everything that Jesus taught. God speaks, always is speaking to us clearly and reliably there. Want to hear the Spirit? Open your Bibles. You want to hear the Spirit? You want to engage with the Spirit? Open your Bible. Wayne Grudem put it this way, It is not as if the Holy Spirit one day whispers in our ear, Do you see that Bible sitting on your desk? I want you to know that the words of that Bible are God's words. No, as we open the Bible, as we read it, as we engage with God's word, the Holy Spirit confirms this is God's word. But he confirms as the Bible is open. And we all know, if you are a Christian here today, you know that it's good to read your Bible. But we need to get beyond the knowing and just do it. The discipline of doing. Open your Bibles and read them. We must do that. That's how we activate, in a sense, the work of the Spirit in our lives. Yes, if you are a Christian, you have the Spirit. It is a gift. When you are converted, you are given the Spirit of God. But there is feelings of the Spirit of God. Matthew, Matthew 28, the Great Commission, he says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and in the name of the Son and in the name of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. How in the world do we observe all that he has commanded us? Well, it starts by reading and understanding what it is he's commanded us. Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, he turns to Timothy and he says, He says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is breathed out by God. That breath is the Holy Spirit breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. We must be people of the word. Yes, listen to it on Sunday morning. And then go home throughout the week and read it. Meditate on it. Delight in it. So we read the Bible. Engage in corporate worship. Engage in personal worship. And pray. I just want to read in in Luke 11. he's, He's talking about The disciples went to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray. And so he took them through the Lord's prayer. And then then at the end, he's, he's trying to describe the heart of the father. And he says, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Do you... Do you have a healthy vision? Set your vision higher than it is today. Well, that, that requires the work of the Holy Spirit. Ask him for the Holy Spirit. Ask him to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Ask him. He loves to give good gifts. So read, pray. We're talking about personal worship now. And last, I want to say evangelize. And why do I say evangelize? Because when Jesus talked to the disciples, he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Did you know that the Holy Spirit, this power infused by the Holy Spirit in the disciples led to, the, led to a massive evangelistic movement. And now the gospel is in all corners of the world because of this evangelism. Jesus equipped the apostles and gave them the gift of the Holy Spirit. What did they do with it? They evangelized. Just look at Peter. Look, start reading in Acts. What did they do? They told others about their faith. The apostles equipped the saints. You know, this is an incredible story in Acts, and I'll just I'll move along quickly. But um, In Acts, you start off, and it's only Peter right after Pentecost, and he's preaching. But then it, it moves and it shifts and it's all the apostles and then it's the deacons. You've got Stephen and you've got Philip preaching and, and they're, they're, they're preaching powerfully. Well, that's, just, that's one step away from the apostles. Well, then after Stephen gave this incredible servant uh, sermon and it says he was filled with the Holy Spirit, they stoned him to death. And then it says there was a massive persecution that hit the church. And, and it says, and Saul approved Of his execution and it says and then there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea Samaria and Samaria except the Apostles everybody scattered not the Apostles and then you know what it says it says now those who were scattered went about preaching the word where did evangelism go started with Jesus spread to the disciples who then equipped the Saints persecution hit and guess what the word the people the people were scattered and in power they brought the word with them and 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 the word went out to the whole world the people now do you ever feel inadequate to share your faith it's hard right but do you think it's too hard for the Holy Spirit who resides within us? But we got to set our sights higher. Do you know there are people in your life that, that nobody else can reach? And you need to be equipped and you need to be ready and you need to be praying for boldness. The disciples prayed for boldness. They prayed for clarity of speech and they prayed for opportunity. Pray that way and you will see The Spirit of God move in your life in ways you can't even imagine. You might now be afraid in front of a servant girl. But you'll find that when the Holy Spirit is working, you can speak before kings and queens with a boldness that is not your own, but it's His. And it glorifies God. And it especially glorifies Him if it comes from people who wouldn't be like that on their own. The Holy Spirit comes to empower us for ministry. Now, all this talk about engaging in corporate worship, engaging in personal worship, and, and then setting our, our vision much higher, having expectation that the Holy Spirit can move us to do great things, all of that is just kind of like kindling. And I, and I just had the picture yesterday, as I was looking at this, of Elijah And Elijah has the 400 prophets of Baal there. And what does he do? He puts together this altar. He dumps water on it. And, and, you know, we don't need to make it harder, but he sets up this altar. And then fire from heaven came down and lit the altar. All of this talk is just like setting the altar in place. And we're inviting the Holy Spirit to come and move. Martin Lloyd Jones once said I spend half of my time teaching people doctrine you know teaching people to love doctrine to to study it to study their bibles basically and then he says and i spend my other half of time telling them that that's not good enough you need power and for us set up the altar why how reading the bible praying singing corporate worship having high expectations and then ask god for power now Back to my friend Jim, and this is where we'll end. I was, I, was, I was meeting with Jim, and I remember at the beginning just saying, okay, Jim, I'm, I'm thinking, hey, I'm willing to work hard. You, you're in a good place, and you can teach me, so the sky's the limit. Let's go. And, and, and I'm thinking, you know, I'll get this thing nailed in a you know, couple months because I'm going to work hard. And, and, I mean, that's probably not exactly how naive I was, but I was thinking, I'll work. Let's go. And, and Jim, at one point, just said, you know, Dave, you, you just you got to be patient and persevere. You know, some things just take time. I mean, look at Moses. Moses knew his ministry at age 40, and he was ready to do it. But God sent him to the wilderness to spend another 40 years. In other words, be patient. Persevere. Be patient and persevere. And he said, you know, I know you're willing to work hard and, and this is great, but it just, it just takes time, period. Immerse yourself in fellowship and the scriptures over a long period of time. I've seen so many young people excited and zealous about their faith and something doesn't happen in the first year or two and they, they kind of just say, well, man, this isn't what I kind of expected. I expected greater things. Take your time because the best work that God does is over decades. Come to church Week after week after week. Read your Bibles week after week after week. You are building a a set of kindling that God can light. And sometimes he does his greatest work in us in our 60s, 70s, and 80s. And that's okay. That's okay. God will do great things. There are no shortcuts. Press in with great expectation because it is far better to have the Holy Spirit inside us than Jesus beside us. And that's a promise for all of us. And so let's let's take a minute right now and I, I'm just gonna pray. Father, thank you for the incredible gift you have given us in the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I confess that sometimes I feel very weak and I know my brothers and sisters do as well and and we discount the the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit. Oh God, I can't even imagine this shy member, as it's been said, of the Trinity. The incredible humility of of Holy Spirit, your incredible ministry of shining the light on Jesus and being delighted to do so. Oh, show yourself strong in our lives, we pray, and in our church in our nation, and throughout the world, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.